Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning. I do have some, some good news in the midst of, uh, in the midst of thanking uh, John and Jean. That's not the good news that they're leaving their jobs. There is some good news. Good news is that on Friday or Thursday, we had an elders meeting and the elders agreed to uh, have a, make arrangements with a search firm to provide us with a full-time uh, family and uh, uh, and children's ministry uh, pastor. So we are really excited about that. And I uh, encourage your prayers. The journey will probably take three or four months. Um, our young families have done a good job of bearing with us. Um, I'm, I'm looking around and uh, Hillary and uh, Haley and Joe and, uh, and the rest of the gang and those that have their kids in there already. Um, Thank you for bearing with us. We're excited, and Pastor Finney is going to be covering that for us in the meantime. But uh, pray with us that we will get the right candidate for that position moving forward. Okay, those of you that may be guests today, um, we don't just have one song in our worship time. This is, however, Communion Sunday. So we do the talk, the sermon first, and then we uh, have a worship time and communion together following that. So, oh, I also wanted to mention this afternoon at 3 o'clock, June uh, Anderson uh, is having a, um, her memorial service here at North Sound in the Little White Church. Uh, some of you may remember uh, June. She's been a little out of touch because of health reasons for probably a year or two, but um, again, her service is this afternoon at 3 in the Little White Church. So... Do you remember how you felt at the beginning of the pandemic? Do you, do you remember the emotion that you experienced at that time? So on March 1st, 2020, we had 300 people here and we had about 100 voice choir packed on the stage. You weren't supposed to do that, but we didn't, we didn't really know much about it at the time. There was a gentleman, Alan, that sat down here, not our pastor Alan, but Alan Lund sat on the front row down here. Somewhere, somehow, he contracted uh, COVID-19 and passed away at Swedish Edmonds Hospital about three weeks later. So we knew that this, this was serious. And Barb and I had not always been watching the news in the morning, but we started when COVID hit at 7 a.m. We would turn on the news, and the news was bad. Do you remember those first weeks? It was bad, and then it was very bad, and then it was worse. And there was a lot of angst that we experienced, just sort of that floating anxiety around what's going to happen, and if I get this, am I going to die? You know, we, we just didn't know. We, uh, we couldn't really go out. We certainly didn't have services. The next Sunday, um, I preached from home, um, and it was interesting because I had Barb be my uh, teleprompter, only you could see the teleprompter. It, it, it left something to be desired, and we started working with Casey and Sherry, and they did a wonderful job from their living room helping us with worship. But it was a scary time. About all you could do was go to the store for a case of toilet paper. It was a hard, you know, it was a very difficult time for, for us to go through. And then following on the heels of that and all of the emotion of that, we had the death of George Floyd and the protests and the riots that followed that, the CHOP anarchy on Capitol Hill here in Seattle. We had yard sign wars. 
We, uh, we had families engaged in open political conflict with each other, leading to, to a separation in some cases, in other cases, just families dancing around the issues and not talking about it for fear of what it would do within the family. There were mass shootings, made the headlines, anxiety and depression went through the roof. Churches lost longtime congregants um, if they responded to public health guidance and followed it, they were wrong. And if they didn't respond to public health guidance, they were also wrong. It, it, we lost, as a church, we lost people on the left and the right, even though our decisions that we made as church leadership, as elders, had nothing to do with politics. They just had to do with what we thought was best for the safety of our people. Nationally, church attendance uh, post-pandemic is down by about a third. 40% of pastors, according to Barna, have considered leaving the ministry during COVID. And to top it all off, I'm getting old. So in our elders meeting, uh, these are very, very serious gatherings. I you know, want you to know that, these spiritual leaders when they, when they gather. And, uh, and Kathy told a, a story that... Um, Oh, let's call it an observation, maybe, that Greg had. You know those, those breakfast rooms in hotels like Hampton Inn and those sort of things where you, you can get up in the morning and, and kind of fix your own breakfast, kind of self-serve? And they don't have typically the toasters where you pop the toast in and it, it pops up eventually. But in order to kind of mass produce things, they have a toaster where the bread kind of goes down the line. You know what I mean? And, and Greg commented on how lovely that white piece of bread is that goes in. It's soft. It's fluffy. It's flexible. It's youthful. And then as the bread begins to go down the line, it starts to get a little brown around the edges. And then it gets a little brown in the middle as it makes its journey through. And then, just like aging, by the time it gets to the end, you're toast. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> I should have you stand, Greg, so that if they didn't like it, they know who to, who to blame for that. So have I depressed you yet? I, I hope not, because there's more bad news, okay? So Arthur Brooks is a commentator who became a professor at Harvard University, and his profession, what he professes as a professor, is happiness, of all things. And so he tells about the ingredients of happiness. He says, as a social scientist, I believe that happiness should be understood as a combination of three phenomena, enjoyment, satisfaction, and meaning. Enjoyment is pleasure, consciously and purposefully experienced so that it can create a positive memory. Satisfaction is the joy of an achievement, the reward for a job well done. And then, he says, there is meaning. You can make do without enjoyment for a while and even without a lot of satisfaction, but without meaning, you will be utterly lost. That is the psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl's argument in his classic book, Man's Search for Meeting. Without a sense of meaning, a sense of the why of our existence, our lives cannot be endured. But he goes on to talk about our search for meaning in times of crisis, like we've been in now. 
He said, I believe the happiness crisis in America is at its core a crisis of our personal and shared sense of meaning. The institutions of meaning have all weakened dramatically in the past two decades. Religious affiliation and practice have been steadily falling. About 30% of U.S. adults now say they are unaffiliated. In our elders meeting on Thursday, um, I showed the elders a graph um, relative to uh, a group of people that may have been part of a church at one time but are no longer. And it's interesting, the, the, the context is uh, about 30 years, 40 years going back to the 70s. And through 1991, it stays constant, just like this. But about 1991, it just takes off like this to now where it's about 30% of the U.S. population. He says, um, marriage rates have fallen by 38% since 2000. Childbearing has fallen by 18% since 1990. The percentage of people with fewer than three close friends has nearly doubled since 1990. The workforce participation rate has steadily declined. According to the demographer Nicholas Eberstadt, for example, the percentage of men ages 25 to 54 not in the workforce has more than tripled from 1965 to 2015. COVID-19 has accelerated the trend. Faith, family, friendship, and work, the institutions of meaning, all have one thing in common. They're outward-facing expressions of love and solidarity with others. Of course, love can be an awkward topic, he says, for some, practically painful. But we have to talk about love today because when we lose the institutions that reinforce our love for one another, a vacuum of meaning begins to develop in our lives. Happiness abhors a vacuum. So we seek alternative sources of meaning, and that leaves us vulnerable to moral predators, people who offer us fear and hatred instead of love. They exploit our lack of love to divide us for political, financial, and personal gain. Some politicians, pundits, academics, or simple internet trolls would set us against one another, telling us that we are victims of our fellow Americans, even our friends and family who don't share our demographics or political beliefs. These predators have invaded the space people once reserved for faith, family, and friendship, and given us instead the zombie religion of grievance and the counterfeit family of shared victimhood. They urge us to think in terms of us versus them and to see us as victims of them, be they immigrants, wealthy people, Democrats, Republicans, or people of another race. This is ripping our country apart. 63% of Democrats today say Republicans, that is Republican citizens, not the party, are more immoral than other Americans. 72% of Republicans say that Democrats are more immoral than other Americans. According to one survey, 61% of Americans are concerned that we could face another civil war. Okay, enough of the bad news, okay? We're going to shift gears and move into something that I think is more positive. But in order to set the stage, we have to confront reality, or as Jim Collins says in Good to Great, we have to confront the brutal facts, and what I've shared with you are, in fact, the brutal facts. So one day before Christmas, I was walking to church when I passed a statue up by Brian Stewart's place, and I had never noticed this statue before. 
And uh, I have two, took my phone out, took a couple of pictures. You can't see it on the right-hand side, but the plaque says, uh, Michelle, tell me if I get this right, joie de vivre. So close enough? Okay. She is my, uh, my, my, my French teacher, um, but you can't blame any mistakes I make on, uh, on her. So I remember enough French to know when I saw this that joie de vivre means the enjoyment of life. The enjoyment of life. And if you look at it carefully, you see the little girl in the statue. Do you see the smile on her face? And you see her hands are raised in sort of a, an, expression, an expression of joy. And I love seeing that. I love seeing that face and that expression, and the exuberance that she shows us. Now, in the midst of the bad news that I shared, I wonder when the last time was that you experienced that joie de vivre, that you experienced that incredible enjoyment of life. It reflects a moment of a kind of ecstasy. It's almost like a drug going through your system and for the moment that the drug is there, you just feel incredibly good that the life is worth living and life is wonderful and it feels great. And I'm wondering in this post-COVID environment that we've in, how long it's been for some of us since we actually experienced this joie de vivre, this enjoyment of life at that kind of level. For some of us, it may be weeks. For some of us, it might be months. For some of us, it might be years. And for some of us, maybe even decades. As I was walking home that day, I was listening to a podcast called Good Faith. And those that were hosting the podcast were talking about 2023. And they were talking about hope, reasons for hope, looking ahead to 2023. And it got me pondering God's will for us and his intention for us that we should experience joie de vivre, that we should enjoy the life he's given us. If you do a Google search of the number of scriptures that deal with joy and God's desire for us to have joy are so very plentiful. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about one really specific reason, and perhaps in three forms, as to why we should experience joy. And that is the fact that we are saved. <laughs> we are saved. And the fact that we are saved makes all the difference in the world. So I want to share with you three perspectives on that. First of all, we find joy in our lives because we are saved. Remember in the old days, churches used to have signs out front that said Jesus saves. For some reason, being saved is not much a part of our vocabulary anymore. We just don't talk much about being saved, and I'm not altogether sure why perhaps it's not seen as culturally appropriate or something. But being saved means that we have been lost and now we're found. We've been lost and now we are saved. Does anybody remember the uh, acronym SOS? Anybody know what that stands for? 
Save our souls. Yeah, SOS is save our souls. And of course, soul didn't mean some indescribable part of us. Save our souls meant us, right? It meant a ship was about to go down. And uh, the SOS went out over the radio to all ships and stations nearby to send help because our souls needed to be saved. I was reminded of a video, I think I showed it years ago here at North Sound, but many of you folks are new, that kind of uh, takes this and, and brings it home. Let's, let's watch together. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächters. Das Gerät, das Überlebensradar. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? So the story of history is his story. It's God's story. And it's a story that moves from creation through the fall and sin coming into the world to a story of redemption in Jesus Christ where he became the means by which our sins are forgiven through his death on the cross. And then on to the opportunity to be saved by placing our faith in him by confession and repentance that leads to our salvation. And our salvation then should lead us to a place of joy over our connection with the God of heaven and earth. Paul writes this, he says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemy, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. A couple of weeks back, I mentioned the artwork of Mary comforting Eve and uh, I have uh, the picture for us today. I didn't have it a couple of weeks ago, but I want you to see the detail in this picture that you have Eve, and um, if you look at the expression on her face, there's sadness, there's grief, there's remorse. And you see that she's holding the, the apple there, and down below, um, there's a snake that's wrapped, that wraps around her. But notice what's happening in the picture and notice how Mary is reaching out, the mother of Jesus is reaching out to her. She's got her hand and it's placed on her very pregnant tummy where Jesus provides the solution for the sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve. She has her hand comforting, comforting her. She has a smile, a, an understanding look on her face and down below, you'll see that the Bible talked about 
the snake's head being bruised, and there you have Mary standing on the head of the snake. A beautiful picture. And the scripture tells us about it. It says, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In the first sermon of the first church, when Pentecost happened and 3,000 were added in one day, part of the sermon that Peter gave in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, um, is these words, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In 1882, Priscilla Owens wrote that wonderful hymn we don't sing much of these days, but I bet many of you know the words, and so I am going to venture out. And if you're watching at home uh, and you're not too embarrassed um, to sing out as well, you can join us as well. Um, And uh, Casey is going to sing really loud for us to cover for those of us that don't do this so well. The song is called Jesus saves. And it goes like this. Join in if you know it. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward is our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Okay, for, for, uh, for Crystal, uh, Jeff, okay. So, so it's really hard for me to think of this song without thinking of the old-time song leader from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Do you remember, guys, the song leader that used to do this? And on this song, when you got to the part where it said, Onward is our Lord's command. He would have his arms, or she, but mostly he in those days, like this. And then when he wanted you to stop, he would go, right. And then Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and draw it, would, uh, would draw it out. Right, Crystal? That's right. So the words of that song are powerful and important. Jesus saves. It's the messages that we articulate The second thing I want to suggest is that we find joy in looking forward to the future God has for us. There are those who say contemporary preachers don't preach enough about hell. I'd like to suggest contemporary preachers don't preach enough about heaven. I think that I sometimes wonder that why this is the case, and I I, I wonder if it's because at least in this country, While our lives can be messy and there can be things going on in our lives, it's a far cry from most of history. For most of history, people have struggled. They've wondered where their next meal is coming from. And our African-American friends here during a time of slavery and even Jim Crow knew what that was like. And so the songs, the, the spirituals reflect that desire for heaven. And I fear that maybe our lives have been so good here on earth together that we haven't had that same desire, that same, that same drawing that draws us to heaven. 
You think about the spiritual swing low, sweet chariot coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot coming for to carry me home. The next verse begins, I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me. And, and, and that was what they longed for. Life was very difficult for them here. And they longed for heaven. They longed for the rest and the joy that heaven would bring them. I think it's important for us to recognize that in the current circumstances of our lives, we should have the joie de vivre, the enjoyment of life that comes from looking forward to what God has for each one of us. Regardless of how good our lives right now, they, they just pale in comparison to what God has in store for us. Peter puts it this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow. And somewhere... Uh, and elsewhere, we know that this inheritance is not harps and clouds, but is deep meaning and purpose as we serve God in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be put to meaningful engagement in that time as well. Finally, uh, this morning, the third point is that we find joy in the present in the knowledge that God is with us. Paul writes in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hope, peace, and joy should reflect the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit abides in us. We've just come through the Christmas season and we talked about the fact that one of the names from Isaiah the prophet given to Jesus is Emmanuel or God with us. But when Jesus went to be with the Father, he said, I will be sending you another comforter. The other comforter is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God with us as well. God abides in our hearts. God abides with us by his spirit when we gather together in worship as we have here. We live in a world that is enchanted with the presence of God. But we need the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. We need to recognize it and live into it as the Psalms help us do in profound ways. We believe when we become followers of Jesus, we enter the kingdom of God. We need to be reminded that we should have joie de vivre, enjoyment of life, because we're living in God's kingdom right now. Alexander Schmemann, the Orthodox priest, reminds us of this. He speaks of entering the kingdom with an understanding of the true reality of what the kingdom is. We move beyond the normal three dimensions into a fourth dimension. Entering the kingdom is to enter the enchanted world of God's presence. He writes, our entrance into the presence of Christ is an entrance into a fourth dimension, which allows us to see the ultimate reality of life. It is not an escape from the world. Rather, it is the arrival at a vantage point from which we can see more deeply into the reality of the world. 
this uh, Monday evening of this past week, I was at my computer and got an email from, uh, from Debbie, who is running, running uh, the PowerPoint for us today. And Debbie said, pray for uh, Damar Hamlin and the Buffalo Bills. And I didn't know who Damar Hamlin was, and, but I realized it was Monday evening and there must be Monday evening football going on. And so I quickly went to Google to find out what was going on and what had happened and saw the same kind of things that you folks did if you happened to track with that at all. Damar Hamlin was a safety. For those of you that don't follow uh, football, that's a defensive position. Your job is to knock down passes and to tackle people. And there was a guy that came running directly at him and hit him up here with his shoulder and he tackled him and stood up but the moment he stood up, he keeled over backwards and lay there, and uh, apparently his heart had stopped beating. So they came, uh, the medics came onto the field and, you know, pounded his chest with CPR. Uh, according to the report, his heart actually stopped twice during that time, but they were able to get him resuscitated. The ambulance came and took him off to the hospital. Players were, were in tears. His colleagues were in tears. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the most beautiful things that happened was that the Buffalo Bills team gathered in a circle, and the players and the coaches and the support staff all gathered in this massive prayer circle where they knelt down and prayed in front of, you know, 80,000 people that were there in Cincinnati watching the Bengals play uh, the Buffalo Bills. My, my thoughts went to how when something bad happens and we say our thoughts and prayers are with you, how we get pushback about, well, that's not enough. But in fact, that's a place where we begin. And in this particular occasion, it showed that fourth dimension. It showed that calling out to God in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of concern was a reality. One of the things that I didn't know uh, until later in the week was that Dan Orlovsky is a former NFL quarterback and a commentator, an NFL commentator on television. And while three, he, he and his two other hosts, the three of them were discussing the Hamlin situation, he said, I just feel like we need to pray he said, maybe this is not the right thing to do, but it's just on my heart that I want to pray for DeMar, DeMar Hamlin right now. I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. This is on national television. And so his two co-hosts bowed their heads, and this is his prayer. He said, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard because we believe that you're God and that coming to you and praying to you has impact. We're sad, we're angry, we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray truly, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar and for healing for Damar and for comfort for Damar to be with his family, to give him peace. If we don't, didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask you this, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. Folks, however secular our culture may have become, it seems in times of tragedy that we look up to that fourth 
to mention to the reality of that spiritual dimension around us. And so today, may God help us to experience the joy of that first dimension, of second dimension, third dimension of creation, but especially that fourth dimension in the acknowledgement that we are saved and we have entered that dimension and are with our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word. And now, Lord, as we reflect on the fact that we are saved by following you, we engage together in the sacrament and the symbol of communion that we recognize that we are saved because of your body broken for us and because of your blood shed for us. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So we invite you to join us for communion if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Our practice is to begin with this side here and uh, to have you come down the center aisle and then return by way of the side aisles. And next we'll do the center section and then the far section. In order to prepare our hearts properly for communion, we take a moment to examine our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others and to make sure that those, to the best of our ability, are right as they should be. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me and going to give you a moment in the quietness of your own heart to make sure that the vertical and the horizontal relationships are where they should be. And then we'll join together in a corporate prayer of confession. So friends, let's humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Let's join together in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and earnestly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who of his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all those who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The words of institution for our service are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we read these words. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Lord, we thank you for your body broken for us, for your blood shed for us, that because of your broken body and your shed blood, we are saved. In Jesus' name, amen.